Welcome to the Totally Scottish Football Show. I'm Andrew Slavin, and unlike Motherwell at throw-ins, I know what's going on. On the pod, we look ahead to a big midweek of Premiership action, which means we'll be looking forward to more poor sportsmanship, rescinded reds and aggravated assaults. And we'll be talking about the subject that has dominated Scottish football this week. Graham Shinney's brace, of course. Oh, and also the issue of sectarianism! Ah, uh, yeah, that's a bit heavy, but don't worry, it's not too heavy. Because later on we'll be speaking to Clyde Hall of Famer Pat Nevin about his time with the Bully Wee and a wee bit of indie music as well. Joining me in the studio, he loves rock and roll, but not as much as a scotch pie from The Telegraph, it's JJ Bull. And when they're combined, you get <laughs> pie and rock. <laughs> And joining me as well from Copper 90, Laura Brannan. I had a rumour you might be going to Kazakhstan. Are you going to make it? <laughs> Andrew, I live in London. I can't afford a plane to Kazakhstan. <laughs> Don't talk about London. No, no, I, I would love to go. But um, unfortunately, I can't make it this time due to work commitments. But £1 a ticket for the qualifier. That is outstanding. I almost could go on a London wage based on £1 for tickets. Why a pound? Just because nobody's going. Nobody wants to go. I mean, I'm guessing Kazakhstan is the cheapest country in the world to live in. I'd not. I think once you get there, it's probably really, really cheap. It tends to be, you know, the more expensive the journey, the cheaper it is to actually when you're there and vice versa. I two, two of my really good mates went to Kazakhstan last year. They had an absolute ball. I would love time. to go. Absolutely love it. It's just, I'm so gutted the timing of this game, the away game. If it had been later in the year, I would have been there in a heartbeat mm. when we drew against them. That was the one I was most excited about because I thought, when else? So I'm going to get to Kazakhstan. Absolutely brilliant. But it's almost like, why are they even selling the tickets? The cost of posting them out to people probably costs more than they're actually making from the sales. Yeah. Get them posted to Kazakhstan. Pick them up. Leaders Celtic travel to Tynecastle on Wednesday night, aiming to make it. Oh, Went a bit Jim White there, <laughs> aiming to make it 10 wins in a row in the Premiership. The champions have a 100% record in 2019, but news from Dan Seth and a new managerial vacancy at Leicester has got people talking. Is Brendan Rodgers going to make it? Now, I did say a couple of weeks ago that this link was legit. So, do you think he would really leave Celtic? The end of the season, yeah, I think he would, yeah. Possible. Yeah, I don't think it would happen now. I think the end of the season is, is much more realistic. He's got to get his statue first, hasn't he? <laughs> yes. <laughs> if he gets the treble, treble. I just see it as, like, he's he's pretty much done all he can at Celtic. It, he's not going to conquer Europe. We had this discussion last week. I don't think his recruitment's good enough to ever have that impact on the European stage. He has truly dominated Scottish football in every way possible. So where does he go from this? I don't think he's going to get one of the big four in England, so I think lower down the table in the Premier League is perfect for him. Well, Leicester are sitting mid-table at the moment. They've got a lot of money to spend as well, and um, something, yeah, yeah. But good young th- team, but they need someone with a bit of. Um, there's a thing with Leicester that they have a way of playing now because they played a certain way when they won the. You know, everyone's got the West Ham way and all that, and I don't know if Brendan Rodgers plays the kind of way that they would. Uh, but outside of the top six in England, there's not really. 
many bigger jobs that he'd get. I mean, what he could do is say, I'm staying at Celtic next season. I've got a job. I've got a, a mission here. I'm going to continue that. It would be wrong for him to say, I'm staying for next season at this stage in the year. I mean, anyone could come in. It's, if you put your cards down as straightforward as that, that's quite dangerous. But what is his mission? What has he got left to achieve? It's 10 in a row for, for most Celtic fans as, as the next big goal. But is he going to stay there for two full more seasons? I don't know. Ask Brendan. I don't think I'd get an answer from him. He'd walk away <laughs> He'd from walk me. away from you, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they beat Motherwell 4-1 on Sunday. One particular player was an absolute standout, Ewan Henderson, uh, 18 years old, got his first start for Celtic. Um, are we likely to see him against Hearts, you reckon? Well, he came in because of the injuries, first and foremost. Yeah, so I'm McGregor not was out, Yeah, it was yeah. McGregor, Cham, Rogic, and obviously Scott Brown was suspended. So depending, obviously, on the who's available for the midweek game, that'll kind of wait and see, but... He's very good. And I, I was a big fan of Liam Henderson, actually, when he was at Celtic coming through the youth youth ranks. I thought he had something special about him. And for him to come out himself and say, this is the better Henderson, I think yeah, there's Liam's a lot... Himself, yeah, his brother, to yeah, be yeah. yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. So Liam's his older brother. Um, and he's out in Serie B right yeah, now as yeah, well. So for... he's out in Italy. And for him to come out and say, this is the better Henderson, is quite something, because I was quite a fan of Liam at the time. So I'm quite looking forward to seeing what Ewan's got. The potential there. It's highly thought of by the football manager scouting database as well. They think he's got a bit of talent and yeah. they tend to have a good hit rate. And he got a wonderful assist for Edouard for I his movement's really good, yeah. yeah. Hearts could do with playing a lot better than they did on the weekend mm-hmm. in this game. I've heard some people as well not being too happy with some of the approaches that Craig Levine has taken, but I'm not sure. What sort of approach? What do you mean? Well, that they're not really attacking with much um, creativity, I think is the problem. And Sometimes you get, we've talked about Naismith being amazing, and then this game it just wasn't quite happening for him. Levine came out after the game and said, uh, We didn't move the ball quick enough, play with enough intent, which frustrated our supporters. We got nervous ourselves, and then decision making got cloudy. And it seems mm. that playing at Tyne Castle is a problem. They dropped points at home to Dundee and St. Mirren this year. Um, and there was Hart's rant on Twitter, I was pointing out 63% of teams in the league have taken something from Tyne Castle. Is it the pressure of the home team that they're struggling with? Yes, the home well, crowd, I should say. I've got it here as well. They've only scored four second half goals at Tynecastle this season as well. So it's not it's not as if they're attacking much in the second half either, really. It's just a bit... Is, is it a confidence issue then? Well, they came out with that injury bit and they've got the defenders back now. They've got Piazzi back and Naismith back. So they can... They, they can do what they were doing early in the season. I think they just had a little bit of a stutter. I don't think it's anything to worry about too much. They're behind everyone else because they fell away, especially with injuries. Yeah. I mean, they're not quite as as uh, stable as, say, Aberdeen or Kilmarnock even. So where they are just now make, makes sense. I think they can still finish higher when they get back onto it. I mean, it takes time. The turnover of players has been massive. Tynecastle is quite demanding and they want a lot of stuff quite quickly but it takes time to get it. I mean, and you've got a great atmosphere at Tynecastle, haven't you? You're saying they're demanding and Celtic have struggled at Tynecastle in previous years. But that's the thing, but when you play smaller teams, when they, I mean, it happens at loads of grounds. You see it at loads of teams that when you play a big team, um, the crowd's right up for it and you can see it and it feeds into the players. You know, it's symbiotic and mm-hmm. it comes up. But when you play someone like, I don't know, St Mirren, they're just not quite on the, on the level and then they start getting frustrated because you're not doing whatever. Sure. I mean, there's folk in Aberdeen who still think it's the 80s and think they should be winning 3-0 every single week and they can't understand why they're not. It must be true for lots of teams when the fans are used to having seen stuff. So like did that. you see um, the pain etched on uh, Clever Dicamona's face at full time? Greg Tanzi's space jail tackle. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. Which he only got a yellow for, right? I mean, 
Let's roll the dice. <laughs> oh, so yeah. So Kane, he's uh, he's tweet as well. Can we take a minute here just to appreciate John McGinn's sense of humour? Because this is a former Hibs player having a wee dig at... Former St Mirren player as well. Yeah, having a dig at a current Hearts player. Now, John McGinn is known for having a good sense of humour on Twitter. And he has a wee dig back saying, what was it he said? Just said grass. Yeah, just just, just one word. Just, just, one just word. grass. And it's because, it's because um, Dick Amona basically tweeted it directly to the SPFL yeah. as well, didn't he? So yeah, try in, to dob him in. That's quite funny. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's little... great. And his reaction was brilliant. But of course, Dick Amona has to have a go back. Yeah. And it just becomes something. And it's like, come on. John McGinn just made the perfect response. And he took it. I'm all for that. I love that bit of uh, battle and it feeds into the real world when Twitter and football, they seem like they're far away but they're actually real life. This is real people sitting there. When a player like John McGinn can come out with something, I think it's great. I would encourage that for more. Tansy should get in trouble for that. He should be sent off. It's another shocking referee decision. Clearly a red card. You can see it straight away and he's very lucky not to have hurt Takamona badly. I don't know if he's alright actually now but I mean... His foot was so high, he, he, he either has no control over what he's doing or he knew what he was doing, and both are, are bad. After defeat at Ibrox in the Scottish Cup last week, Kilmarnock manager Steve Clark spoke openly about the sectarian abuse he had suffered during the game. Clark said he thanks Chelsea for taking him away from the west of Scotland because his children and grandchildren don't understand what sectarianism is. Andrew Smith from The Scotsman joins us now. Andrew, you wrote about the issue of strict liability at clubs. Can you explain what that means? Yes, that means that, that you take responsibility or liability, if you will, for the actions of your supporters, whether it's a home ground or an away ground, which it's, it's different from how we, how we configure it in Scottish football, whereas it's like it's only you, you take responsibility for your own stadium rather than your supporters. So it's what strict liability, the way it should work in UEFA, it's not perfect, but there's a variety of infractions that, if your supporters commit these infractions, then you are punishable or other potential sanctions that you take on board because of the actions of your supporters. Scottish football or the Scottish football authorities are incredibly resistant to this. I think they had a vote on it, was it two years ago? And yeah. I think it was 41 out of 42 clubs voted against it. So there's no appetite for it. But I think there is a growing momentum behind it because we're all fed up by the inertia that we see in the fact that nothing is changing. We're still hearing these chants. People talk about education and people talk about we're doing everything we can. This is a phrase you'll hear often. We, we do, we're do we doing everything we can because that is in the SPFL statutes. As long as clubs can be seen to have done everything they could, then they don't face any possible sanction. So you're basically saying, you know, if if any, any member club is, is caught um, with these offensive chants that you know it's docked points uh, potentially or closed stands potentially, and stuff like I mean that. that would be the, that would be the, that would be the top end of the tariff. I mean you can structure these. Let's face it. Look, okay, Celtic I think is at eleven charges mm-hmm. brought against them. I think in the last six years by UEFA, uh, and they haven't been close to a game being voided or even a stand being closed. That's one of the higher end ones. So. There are a variety of ways of doing this. I think that we have to give it more teeth. We have to actually, we have to take a lead because we have a problem that no other country in the world does have. Maybe there was Serbia at one point, I think, in the Balkans, they had certain problems with religious 
kind of discrimination. But we we have a particularly acute issue, and therefore I think we should be radical and we should take the lead. I mean, we've already done it in actually on-field behaviour. We were the first country in the world to introduce retrospective action for simulation, which is now something that's that's, that's accepted. But no one else in the world uh, in the world had done it in world in world football before that we introduced the if you con the referee then you can face a, a, a too much uh, suspension. So if we can be radical and we can be we can be at the forefront of change on the field behave with on the field behaviour. Why can't we do off the field behaviour? One of the things this kind of devil's advocate, but one of the things put against yeah, strict sure. liability is a. Uh, Say um, a Rangers or Celtic fan could just pay some chump to go and sit in the the stand and chuck coins at someone, or start you know they could pin a group and start these chants. That doesn't make sense, right? Is is, is it something that you yeah, think it does, that has been it, it does, but is that and that's the kind of kind of red herring that uh, if, you, if you with the greatest respect, okay, that, that that Neil Doncaster throws up. But the reality is, the limited form of it that exists in England, and I have to say. They've never really used it as they could. I think is it Millwall or in Scunthorpe or something. And I think there's a couple of cases that it kind of petered out. But they they define it as discriminatory mass chanting. Now there's no way you're going to get ten thousand Celtic or Rangers supporters with buying tickets for the other team's game and then going along. And let's be honest about it, we don't have small groups of supporters chanting. We have thousands of people. Look, indulging in these chants, and I think if you if you define it to clear examples of discriminatory mass chanting, then I think that I think that that would certainly kind of solve the the potential issue that you have raised there. Because obviously, football is quite ingrained within society within Scotland, and this problem is historical, and then becomes entrenched within historical matters passed down through families, and it comes from different pressure points within the the country but I mean I'm from Aberdeenshire and that I've never like never come across anything like sectarianism other than when uh, well Rangers and Celtic are involved do you think it's a problem sectarianism that is specific to the west of Scotland as opposed to the entire country yeah I don't I, don't, I think you've got you've got pockets right throughout Scotland but it, it tends to follow I mean some people don't even want to call it like a sectarianism yeah. uh, I don't know if you know the group that exists at I think it's, it's, it's Call It Out. I don't know if you've heard of the group Call It Out. I have, yeah, yeah. And they, they, talk about, uh, they talk about essentially like anti-Irish Catholicism because sectarianism tends to follow where, where you've had Irish immigrants. Mm-hmm. There's no Catholic Irish immigrant population in Aberdeen or Aberdeenshire. You have Dundee and you have pockets of Edinburgh and you have most, most of the, the Irish immigration in the late 1800s was to, to Glasgow. So therefore, you had a reaction to that. At one point, I think there was 148 anti-Catholic societies in Glasgow alone, you know, at that time. So this is where we're, we're going back to. And then, obviously, Rangers, like, they didn't start off as a kind of anti-Catholic club, but that became ingrained within their kind of psyche when the, the kind of 20s and 30s, when you the, the shipyards, Harland and Wolf shipyards, like they imported a lot of, Workers from Northern Ireland, Orangemen, essentially, which, which begins the Orange Order and mm-hmm. all that that entails. So, look, uh, that's why it exists in the west of Scotland, because this is where you've had the immigration and this is where you've had the two cultures, whatever you want to say, or two religions, kind of 
bumping up against one another. That's one of the things that I find so... It's so difficult to understand because having not ever been part of it. And because... So I grew up in the well, mid-80s and early 90s. Rangers and Celtic were so widely supported because they were the team that tended to, to win. So a lot of people would yep. support that team because it's passed in for the family or something. But folk with no association whatsoever with any of the troubles in Ireland or anything like that or any Catholic background would come through to it. And so it really is quite a big problem on the part of Rangers and Celtic specifically because they have so many fans that follow it and they sort of buy in to the, yeah, it's, the it's tribal part of the clubs, right? Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And I, I, I mean, I think I once described it as a kind of religious franchise. They <laughs> yeah. do tap into... They have got a religious franchise. There's so many things stitched into why people become Celtic and Rangers supporters. I mean, we, we live in a secular... Largely secular society. I think the last census, I think there was fewer than half people said they did any religion at all. So there is a certain tribal element to it, that it, but it's still manifesting itself. I mean, what really after everything that happened last week, I found it utterly depressing that uh, that Rangers support would sing would sing their, their Steve Clark song again at Hamilton. I thought that just tells us everything about how entrenched this is. And there is a certain defiance on the part of a section of Rangers support, and it's a considerable section about their right to sing, essentially, anti-Catholic songs. You were writing the other day that journalists have pretty much given up writing about this because what's the point? I mean, yep. I've been a journalist in Scottish football, you're going week in, week out to games. What do you see? I mean, do you sit there in a the press box and just hear it? And what's the kind of reaction like around you? I was sitting after the Villarreal game where I thought it was really, which I wrote a colour piece, so I had it in that colour piece. I mean, I've been going to Ibrox as a journalist since Mo Johnson scored the winner for the first day at the Celtic View, but like, like he scored the winner for Rangers <laughs> in 89. So like, and it was pretty bad then, but then I've also written about it's been a lot better. But I mean, you hear the Super Rangers, no one likes us, we don't care, we hate Celtic. Fenian bees, you know, you know. There's certain, there's, there's, there's trigger songs that up to knees in Fenian blood, and uh, um, F the Pope and the, the Vatican, you know. And, and they were all back. They're all back. They, they, they both, both the ultras at Celtic and Rangers are retro. You know, they're almost the way they're retro stripped, and they think they're retro supporters. I mean, Celtic supporters starting to sing like songs that I'd heard. I mean, I, I was I grew up a Celtic supporter and going to the jungle during the hunger strikes, the maze hunger strikes in the 80s and all that, and these songs had just died away, and they're all now part of the repertoire of the Green Brigade. They think they're, they think they're catapulting themselves back to the 80s. I've written about it three times this year at Celtic Games. Uh, the first game of the season, Kenny Miller got the sad orange bee thing, and I put it in, and I said, uh, it was a depressing, da da da, Celtic's flag day, da da da. Uh, to hear them singing Kenny Miller's Sad Orange Bee in a road dash, which is sectarian. But, but, I mean, I, had, I got a, an email from that saying it's no because you're talking about the Orange Order and that's not a sect. But we all know when you use the word orange, you're using it as a shorthand for Protestant. When you use the word Fenian, you're using it as a shorthand for Catholic. And th- th- I actually had, after the the derby, I wrote another whole piece. I just actually thought, I was sitting there and I thought, Jeez, I'm just going to get through this because this is poison and I, I, I feel kind of unclean being here. I got emails from both sides. It's, it, you don't actually get as much feedback now. I used to get a lot of letters and all that, but it was Sunday morning. I woke up to people saying, you know, one of them was just block hassles. This guy saying, if you don't like what you hear at Football Grounds, don't come. 
we don't want you. I mean, it's like a kind of strange way of saying that that's the solution. If you don't like it, yeah, don't be there. I said, would you say that yeah, about I racial like, abuse or whatever? Yeah, I kind of feel like some maybe journalists don't want to speak out maybe like on Twitter because of the backlash that they're the going to get. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I remember way back like uh, when I used to work for Celtic and I, I went in very naive. I'd grown up um, without this sort of kind of culture really I'd never really been educated on this side of things um, my, my dad's a Celtic fan and he'd never really kind of taught me about that side of stuff so when I did go into the club and I did hear these songs on a regular basis I didn't know what they meant but then I would sometimes say on Twitter and Twitter was quite new at the time we're going back in the day here but yeah, I would yeah, say yeah. something along the lines of why? Why do you feel the need to sing did about you, these topics did, and the abuse that you would get back? It just wasn't worth did it. You, did you ever? Did you never hear any yeah. of that in school though? Between like your peers and stuff like that, like there was Not really, people in my school, people in my school that you know, a Ranger section and a Celtic section, and you'd hear it and. Sometimes they would I, say stupid I, things I don't as know, well. But then I think older people say, right? Yeah, but then exactly. I think that kind of ties into what you're saying is maybe they don't know any better. I mean, I don't know exactly the age groups, but I know maybe like guys in the Green Brigade are very young. I don't know if it's the same for the Blue Order. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, I mean, I, mean, I, mean, I must say as well, like I, I would like draw that, like when I when I was growing up in the eighties, it was very political. You could understand why uh, Celtic supporters were singing about. The, the the troubles because it was it was a hot it was a hot topic it, it, and and it was we were living through it and it was a really political age and these like and a lot of like the sporters in the jungle whatever they 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 identified with Ireland because they were first and second generation Irish yeah. so it was a whole different and I could understand that and there still is a political element to it but the political element then as it existed, whether or not you agree with it, whether or not you agreed with United Ireland or whatever, what was happening there. I mean, you know, you back to the, when I started going to Celtic back in the 70s, like, uh, there wasn't one Catholic, one vote in Ireland. People forget that, you know, I mean, we're getting in a whole political topic, but I'm just saying it's not all just about we hate Protestants or we hate Catholics. Although I have to say, I think Rangers is... Uh, the problem is you get what about it if I say, look, we're not talking about you can't lump Celtic Rangers together. It's not quite. It's not quite the same thing. It's not quite the same thing. Celtic is a celebration of an island or an Irish struggle that you might not like, and obviously there was innocent people killed and such like. Clearly there was the, the atrocities committed by the IRA, so we understand that. But it's a bit different to just saying, "Look, we're just going to sing songs about hating fiends." There's, there, there are, there's two different things that work here. But the, the equivocation you can make is if Celtic fans are singing Colin ex-Rangers players, Orange Bees or whatever, you know, that that's, that is the equivocation with what happened to Steve Clark. What happened to Steve Clark? What happened to Chris Boyd? There's an equivocation there. There's a difference between being offensive and a hate crime. See, when you start talking of somebody's religion, their sexual orientation, their creed or their colour, you're guilty of a hate crime. Say you had a tariff, say you had a strict liability tariff, as I say, you start off with a warning and then you get a fine and then you might get a partial stand closure and then you might get a full stand closure and then you might get a penalty. Or as soon as you get to the partial stand closure or you ban away fans, you look at the away supports that Kilmarnock have had from Celtic Rangers. It's a long time since Kilmarnock have been attracting 12,000 supporters yeah. for league games. You look at that You look at that revenue they've had out of Celtic Rangers this year. Because even they're, they're away crowds. I've given them two stands now. You look at uh, Livingston giving Celtic Rangers three stands. That's £30 a pop or £25 a pop or whatever. Even these clubs are happy to tolerate it because they're making poppy. It's coin. Like they're not got, they don't want 
Celtic Rangers fans banned for his singing because they're filling their stadium. You're listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. Steve Clark now has to worry about the visit of Motherwell to Rugby Park. It's five games without a win in the Premiership for Kelly after defeat to Livingston. It's the worst run of the season, so where's it all going wrong? Losing Greg Stewart, perhaps? Is it? Is it just that? Um, that was a big loss. <laughs> I mean, what are you meant to do? He was the most creative player and one of the most creative players in the league. Yeah. So he's really high on progressive runs, progressive dribbles, as in he takes the ball forward. When he gets the ball, he does things with it. Mm-hmm. His first touch, oh, mama. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen it? He just, he just picks the ball out of the air. It's it's so nice to watch. But um, uh, Rory McKenzie is playing. He played last season a lot. He got 25 games in the league. But it's been Stewart and, and Brophy have really been the players doing the damage. So now you've got... Boyd's playing up front with Brophy. He Jones on the left and Mackenzie on the right. It's just not happening, but they've stumbled a wee bit, but they've had some tough games. I think they're going to be just fine. Kilmarnock will be all right. They'll get back into the swing of things again. But losing a player like Stuart, who was basically creating everything for them, it's the reason that Brophy was doing so well, because Stuart mm-hmm. was helping create all the chances he's getting, because they're both high on expected goals and assists. Uh, we should talk about Daniel Blackwin's red card against Rangers. <laughs> yeah. That was, a fun, that was had, a fun thing. We had a bit of a... Exchanging of views, didn't we, JJ? Yes, Laura. We'll remind everyone in case you've forgotten what happened. So Daniel Backman was defending a corner, and uh, he had Glenn Kamara Glenn in front Kamara of him, and him. Alan Power on the other side as well. So Glenn Kamara was in a Backman Power sandwich. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Backman puts mm. his arms up before the corner's kicked. Yeah, moves his arms back, and in the process, elbows Kamara in the face. Forearms. So now you've got to be clear with your wording. <laughs> A lot of people think it's an elbow. I disagree with it being an elbow. I think so it's, like you said, it's more more of his it's, it's his movement of his arm. Now, when you see the movement, originally the angle television was showing was behind the goal and they were slowing it down. So it, it didn't look as severe. So when their analysis came, everyone was like, nah, it's not enough. Then fresh angles came out at full time and they were running at full speed. And it looked like there was a bit more of a jerking motion, which looked a bit more dangerous. But I still don't believe that there's intent to harm. There's no reckless movement in there to harm Glenn Kamara, and it's not an elbow. So Backman is just trying to get advantage by getting in front of him because he's a goalkeeper. So he's not trying to hurt him. No. What he's trying to do is get him away because he's annoying, and you're just like, like, oh, it's a go away. <laughs> yeah, so it's you're it's to... the normal tussle inside the penalty area. And he's been sly about it. Right, he's been sly, so he puts his hands up, and he's like, you can't see what I'm doing, but I'm doing what he did. Mm-hmm. And he puts his forearm, and he just like bashes it. And like, you mean, you, you know what you're doing? It happens all the time at corners. Players are tussling with each other. But not in the face, not in the face. It's the thing, yeah, I agree, but not in the face. Yeah, I'm with you, Laura, as well. It's a very interesting case where you just have to... The referee it's hasn't seen it, and the, the assistant has actually, you know, advised the referee to do it, and now it's been now it's been rescinded, which I think is the, a right decision. And because he, he bashes him in the head, it should be a yellow card, I think, because he knows what he's doing and he's made contact with the face, but he's not trying to. It's not like brutal intent. He's not trying to murder him or anything on the pitch. Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure brutal intent is one of the laws of the game, but it'd be pretty cool. Yeah, brutality, <laughs> yeah, brutality is in the word. Oh, is it? it? Well, yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, would so a foreign referee got this better, guys? Oh, just to bring this on. into it, <laughs> I would be up for it because they're higher quality than the ones we've got. Of course you would. <laughs> really? Well, but, Scottish well, referees I mean, are, are yeah, terrible. But, but so, so where where would you get your referees from specifically? Brendan Rodgers says Wales and England, mm-hmm. but 
I don't see any UEFA standard referees in Wales. Anyone who fancies a trip, it's beautiful. Go to the Highlands, so see all the sights. Money and on... the SFA pay for it. Yeah, yeah exactly. we're going to waste money on flying in these refs. Oh, a trip in a hotel, I can afford that. Yeah, or we could train Shady. up the referees. I would pay referees, like trip and hotel to get someone like that rather than Andrew Dallas ever again. <laughs> or you could sack Andrew Dallas because he's rubbish and then train the other ones to be better referees and if it's possible, even make oh, them full time. We'll this weekend. So... Like, <laughs> But it's something no, you, you don't know. You can't just turn to foreigners. I mean, who else does that? But it's like getting it's a batch. Of, it's like getting a batch of good footballers through. You don't know. It takes so many things to make them bring them through and then get them to the right level and they have the right mentality and the right skill set to be able to do it. It's a hard job. I could never ever do it. I feel really bad, and we always slag off referees and that. No, just accept. Oh, we're not good enough. Okay, the answer's elsewhere. No, the answer's right in front of you. Make it better. It's like how? Oh, good idea. Specifically how? It's like when you're in a bad relationship. Is the answer? Oh, I'm going to dump this person, and walk away, or am I going to make yes. this relationship? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to fix this relationship. Oh well, my god! Fix it. Stop but walking away. I don't want to get the inner workings of your relationships, <laughs> Laura, on this podcast. Yeah, but that and that's uh, a very but, like. I mean, um, that could lead us down a multiple door um, pathway. Because then let's, you, let's leave those knows that? homely analogies. Ideally, it should be the refs in Scotland, no matter what country they're from. By the way, people from Scotland and within the Scottish FA should be doing the refereeing, but they should be good. And I don't care where they're from as long as they get the decisions right. If they can't do it now, they need VAR or something because it's. Uh, I mean, there was there was more refereeing stuff back when stuff was was funny. Uh, with VAR, they would be able to make the decision correct, get it right there for sure. Well. Let's hope the referee has a good game at Kilmarnock at Motherwell. So Motherwell's six-game winning run came to an end at Celtic Park and their sportsmanship has been called into question after their goal against Celtic. Um, <laughs> Great so goal. James Scott has basically been looked at as the culprit, but Ariby as well, is he maybe... Yeah, they're both at the it. Yeah. They're just, I think they're young and naive and uh, they, they, they should know. Like, it's not... They sh- it's, it's, it's an unwritten rule in, in football, so... Ryan Christie went down injured and so Celtic kicked the ball out and then you give the ball back to the team who had but the ball last. There's an important bit here that you're missing. So, Ryan Christie pulls up first, tries to carry on, pulls up a second time, right. accepts that he's, his game's ended, walks off to then let like Rodgers sort the sub out because his game's done. Rodgers then tells him, go back on and sit down because he didn't want to play on with 10 men. So he wanted him to sit down and waste time by sitting down, which you don't have to stop play because so you, you, you so can you only were stop, at this game, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can only stop. You only have to stop play if it's a head knock. It wasn't a head knock. It was a hamstring. So it was Rogers being quite sly in the sense of we don't want this game to continue with ten men. So sit back down and wait. So then Celtic kicked the ball out to let the sub let, that let that him get two men substitute. I mean, right? that strategy has absolute sense. Yeah, but that's sly because he yeah, could of course have just it's, it's a game. Yeah, but this is it. It's just a wee bit of gamesmanship here, yeah. right? Motherwell did exactly the same. It's gamesmanship. No. It's sly and it's hilarious. I thought it was funny too. But also, I think it's um, it's ungentlemanly conduct. It's very ungentlemanly. Of course. If I don't, I don't think, think playing at any but, level, you can't, you can't really do but, it. But this, I, I don't get this whole, it's an unwritten rule. It's a rule or it's not a rule. And it's not set in stone. So they didn't break any rules. They didn't cheat. They just took advantage of a situation. So, so are you okay with this happening to Motherwell? Are I'm you, okay, are you with, okay with this? Ha- this is this like, is an okay thing to happen. Yes. If if, because if if a player is injured, forget the point that Brendan Rodgers is being sly by sending Christie back onto the pitch to 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 if, lie down. I don't know where I'll do it. So, the referee so, can stop the game. You don't so have if, to, but you can. So, if the team with the ball who are a man down through injury at that moment in time to kick the ball out, the opposition are with totally within their right. 
to go ahead and try and score a goal. It doesn't matter about giving the ball back. No, I think they are within their right. It's not a rule. I just think... But if, is, that see, not if a you, bit, is that not a bit... Dirty? I don't think there's any point arguing this because it makes no sense. Of course you can argue it's unsporting. Okay, I get that. But I see more problems with being unsporting in the sense of diving. And people seem to think that's okay. And we're seeing it in the same game. I mean, Scott Sinclair went down. I don't, think, that's, usual, I don't think you but, compare the two things, though. But they are, because one's... They're, they're both classes unsporting. One's a lot more serious than the other. Yeah, but I this, is more, this, like, is more about, this is more about this is someone cricket, getting though, treatment as soon as possible. So, uh, but he wasn't going to get treatment on the pitch, though, because he was, his, his game was over. I take, he just I take, had to I take come your off. Point, I take your point, but the wider, the wider issue is that no team should take advantage of another team's... You know, uh, I've seen it before. Uh, I've seen it before yeah. once, and it was in England. And uh, I think Canu took the ball on, not really realizing what was going on because he maybe doesn't understand what was happening. Overmars scored the goal, and then Arsenal offered to replay the game. Yeah, and did right. you see the Celtic wanted that's to? Just what you do within football. Well, no, but did you see when uh, they restarted the game? Celtic expected the opportunity to go and score. Yeah, that's that would fine. have been yeah. absolutely ridiculous if no, that I've, I've seen similar things happening yeah. all over oh, the world. Did it not happen like in the Championship or League One a few years ago? Teams take advantage of situations, and I'm sorry. See, when you're within the lines and within the 90 minutes. If you show too much respect, you're going to lose the game. So I, 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 so I've experienced <laughs> what? It. What is this? Yeah. Stop I, showing so much respect. It's not oh. showing respect. That is, that is showing too much respect. It's just cricket. It's what you it's, do. And it's, it's not real though. Stephen Robinson came out after, and he says like he said he was embarrassed. He, he says embarrassed. Yeah. yeah. He said he didn't know what to do. He said he spoke to Brendan because as soon as it all happened, as soon as the throwing happened, he was like, uh, he wanted to make a decision. He wanted to tell his players something probably, and I'd like to the, think, yeah. no, don't do that. But he even said himself, listen, Scott will learn from this. The only defence you can give to Motherwell is to um, is to Scott and say he's you know if it's funny he takes the ball and he looks behind him almost to say like what he's doing like what come on I'm on what are you doing? He just thought he was an incredibly fast player. Yeah, yeah. What yeah. I think says a lot <laughs> is that full time everyone in the Celtic camp were so raging about this decision. They yeah, just yeah. won four one <laughs> and that was the only but, thing they were but, talking about. Yeah, but at Get that over mo- it. But at that moment in time Celtic were only two 0 up and Motherwell were two back one. in this. Game. Oh yeah yeah. That, that, that put Motherwell um, right back them. into the game. It rattled them something awful and yeah. up until kinda the last couple of minutes of the game Motherwell were very, very capable of getting an equaliser, which would have been an even bigger story. Aberdeen face Hamilton on Wednesday night. Unfortunately for Derek McInnes, this game is being played at Pataudry because away from home, the Dons have won six on the bounce and they have the best away record in the division, JJ. You must be a very happy man with their away form. I think they've done very well. It's the best they've um, done away since... Ah, I can't remember the number now. I think it's like 1936 or something... It was a good win against St Johnston, by the way. It took forever to break them down. Graham Shinney scored two excellent goals, brought about by Aberdeen just waiting to be able to counter them through the middle. Hamilton, uh, on their game in the weekend, were absolutely useless. <laughs> and I cannot believe, because they lost 5-0 to Rangers. I mean, it's not easy, but Brian Rice came out after the game and said it was a learning curve for him. He's such a positive manager and he tries to keep his team... I know. He, sets, he tries to set them out positively, but maybe there are just the thing is like he's been in the game a long time. Most people listening to this will agree that you can't if you're a Hamilton with the players they've got and the confidence levels they're at just now, you can't go and try and take the game to Rangers even if you're at home. Yeah. Not for the whole game. You can maybe do it in spells, 
He, op- he opened them up from the very start, and sure enough, Rangers were scoring from 30 yards like every single time. Yeah, you have to be clever with it. Obviously, you want your team, if the, the, the underdogs against the likes of Rangers, to go out and have a go. It's great, and it's great for the neutral to watch that kind of exciting approach, but you've got to be sensible about it. If you're such a significantly lesser team in terms of your, your squad, you have to basically part the bus sometimes. Yeah, you, uh, can, you can play the game, right? Yeah, you can, you can choose smartly. sections of the game. Like first 10 ha- minutes, then first 10, yeah, second 10. It doesn't yeah. always have to be an attractive game. And the likes of, from an Aki's perspective, it's probably not going to be an attractive game if they're to take anything off Rangers. So you just have to kind of bite the bullet in this one and go, right, right let's play ugly. And so I wonder how they'll line up against Aberdeen because I I mean, I like what Rice is doing with Hamilton trying to make them play sure. more attacking. It's yeah. way more fun to watch. A bit more interesting. It'd be way, yeah. more, way better in the Championship when they're there next season. When I mean, that's where they're going at this rate. Because mm-hmm. Aberdeen, McInnes has always wanted to play on the counter attack and. That is his dream. If Hamilton turn up to Pataudry, that's if Aberdeen turn up themselves because they've got a habit of when these teams they should beat turn up and then just they don't themselves get there. But one player who will turn up and always does is Lewis Ferguson who's been absolutely brilliant this season. Yeah, signed a contract extension. So Yep. Until the year 2024, which sounds like the future, <laughs> but yeah. it's only five years. It like Futurama. But that, yeah, it's nuts. That's just dawned on me now. How, we'll still oh be older God. than Stevie Naismith. Why aren't we on the moon yet? Well, God, 2024, that's so futuristic. If you've got Ferguson oh. signing a contract, how likely is Graham Shinney to sign a new contract? Mm. Two goals he scored against St Johnston on Sunday, but his future is still in doubt. There's a thing Aberdeen done this season um, called Aberdeen-A, where you can sign up and you can pay a, a money per month, like £12 a month for a certain membership, and there's higher memberships at like £18, something like that. And the money goes towards... It's a monthly subscription to your bank. The money goes straight to the club to invest in the, into players and in the youth team and stuff like that. And they give you stuff in exchange, like they put your name on the wall or something. I'll give you exclusive yeah, yeah. tours around the stadium or something like that. I don't know. I can't remember. But um, <laughs> great idea because they, they need to be able to get extra revenue to be able to compete and push past that second place or to keep it second place, stay in third, something like that. Graham Shinney is worth about 15 grand a week and you can get it in England quite easily I think he could play for one of the worst teams in the Premier League maybe he'd definitely for Cardiff for example Huddersfield Huddersfield I think he'd get game with them he'd be, he'd be great for a counter-attacking team one of those ones with one of those new age German Austrian super high pressing perfect leader a great player great mentality to have look how well Kenny McLean's doing now down at Norwich so he go there but I don't think even if they rebranded Aberdeen to Aberdeen pay for Shinny. <laughs> There's no way they're going to be able to afford 15k. I think he's been one of the best players I've ever seen play at Pataudry. Uh, wow. I think he's just fantastic, and it would be it would be great if he stayed. I don't think anyone would really resent him leaving because they would understand that going for more money would make absolute sense. Well, he might get in the score sheet again because he's up against Hamilton, who have the worst away record, least goals scored, and the most goals conceded in the league. Good luck, Hamilton. Time now to go around the grounds in the SPFL. Neil White has the best of the action from the Championship, League One and Two as well. It was another rollercoaster ride in the Championship. Plot twists galore at both ends. Partick Thistle were 2-0 up against league-leading Ross County at halftime, while Dundee United were leading Falkirk by a single goal at the same point. That would have seen United level with Ross County at the top, going into a busy midweek card. But County hit four in the second half and United conceded a late equaliser at Falkirk in games that had a big impact on the promotion and relegation issues. County are now five clear of both Dundee United and Air United, who lost 1-0 at home to Dunfermline. It's Ross County versus Air, first versus second on Tuesday night. 
But let's focus on the bottom of the table. Thistle had been on a seven-game unbeaten run that had taken them clear of the relegation playoff place. But that second half collapse, full kicks draw, and a 93rd minute winner for Aloha at Queen of the South means the Jags are back in the basement. Level on points with Falkirk, one behind Aloha, the league's only part-time team for whom a miraculous survival remains a possibility. Jordan Kirkpatrick, the midfielder whose injury time goal in last season's playoff final got them into this division, did it again for Aloha, heading home at the death for their first win in Dumfries for 16 years, and that's Kirkpatrick's first goal since returning to Aloha from St Mirren in January. League One, and there was no change in the top half of the table as Arbroath's coronation tour of Scotland continued with another win, 3-2 over Airdrie, thanks to veteran striker Bobby Lynn's third hat-trick of the season, wins for Wraith and four for below Arbroath, but the result of the day was Dumbarton's 4-3 victory at East Fife, who had Chris Kane sent off after the scoring. Dom Thomas scored a hat-trick for Jim Duffy's Dumbarton, who moved out of the relegation picture along with Stranraer, who won at Brecon to send them into the relegation playoff spot. In League 2, Clyde conceded a late equaliser for the second weekend in a row, this time at Queen's Park, and wins for Edinburgh City and Peterhead, who ground out a tough 1-0 at Stirling, have carved out a bit of space for these two, who have been slugging it out relentlessly for the title since the season began. Blair Henderson scored in Edinburgh City's regulation 2-0 win over Cabin Beath, and he is Scotland's top league goalscorer with 24. Peterhead play their game in hand at home to Cabin Beath on Tuesday, and they go top with a win. As Neil just told you, Clyde lost ground on the leaders at the top of League 2 as they try to make their way back up the divisions and back to the glory days. I spoke to a Clyde Hall of Famer, the one and only Pat Nevin, about where it all began for him. Before that, I'd been at Celtic and I'd been an S-form at Celtic and I thought a lot of people around there felt that I was a, a stick-on to be signed and it didn't happen. They told me I wouldn't be good enough, I wouldn't be tall enough and I agreed completely. Yeah, too, too small? <laughs> Yeah, too small to play football. And I'm, well, I'm thinking, was there a, not a wee guy called Jinky who played, you know? And they, uh, to which <laughs> I didn't say that because I knew the correct answer to that was yes, he was better than you. Um, but no, I, but I agreed. I agreed because I'd never really wanted to be a footballer. I just like playing, love playing. It wasn't the idea to be a professional. Just loved the actual playing. So there was no need for that. And the rest of my family, brothers and sisters, all gone to do degrees, and that's, that's where I was going. So that's exactly what I did. Um, Kicking about with Gart Kosh, boys club, had to play a, a friendly, we were asked to play a friendly against what we thought was Clyde Reserves at Shawfield. And me and my mate had a bet beforehand, and the bet was an album. <laughs> Who could beat the most players and score? We did that sort of thing all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, mean, I must have taken, I was certain midfield that day, and I must have taken around four and scored. And I was walking off, and uh, Craig Brown, their manager, was walking over and he goes, um, would you like to come and play for us? And I went... To be honest, no, I'm kind of happy at boys club and uh, I'm studying, I'm doing a degree and that was in the days of grants mm. and uh, fortunately Craig Brown, being an educationalist himself, said, well, it's only two nights a week and a game on a Saturday and we'll pay you. And I said, oh, let me think about it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it, you know, and I was, you know, it took me a wee while, I was fuming actually because I thought I should be in the first team right away. <laughs> And he held me back for like 
a, a few months. Why do you think he held you back? Um, I don't know. It was like, I, I really don't know. We were playing okay that season anyway, and we, we kind of won the league that season. But when they let me go, it kind of was, I was flying. I was, I was like, and I just flew off. I mean, I got on and I got some substitute appearances, but I was kind of wanted to start. And it just went well, really, really, really quickly. Yeah. Um, and it fitted well because I love Glasgow. I was doing a degree. I was really happy. I was going to gigs, you know. I was playing football, getting a couple of quid extra. <laughs> Students, we always liked that. So it was just a perfect... I was living a perfect life. And on top of it, at the same time, Craig got me into the Scottish Youth Setup. Mm. And, you know, I've under 18s there, and it's kind of right, it's all Celtic and Rangers boys, and like, what's this guy for Clyde doing, you know, three divisions down? <laughs> um, but fortunately, we won the Euros. Um, I get played in the tournament. So I, I think it would have been difficult to say I was getting special treatment. <laughs> <laughs> so it was great. What, what were you studying? What was your. Uh, B.A. Commerce, so it was uh, economics, accounts, business studies, management, a bit of law. So it was a kind of wide business kind of course. It wasn't something I was particularly interested in. Yeah. But Every single part of that course mm-hmm. has helped me in my career, mm-hmm. which is astonishing. So, and we had a great bunch of, sort of teammates around us. I really liked the guys, the guy, the Clyde team. Um, my dad could come and see me every week. Uh, you, you kind of, I was just living the perfect life. It was a good time at Clyde because there was a lot of young, exciting <laughs> players coming through at the time as well, wasn't it? Yeah, we there? all came for Garkosh. <laughs> <laughs> we all came for that same team. There was a guy called Stevie Evans who went on and had a, a good career. Tommy McQueen went on and played for Aberdeen, left mm. back for quite a long time. Um, and we all kind of came in at exactly the same time. And there was Paul Flex and he'd go and he played Scottish Youth and all that stuff. So there was a bunch of us that were good, but there was a good bunch of experienced pros as well. So it was a good place to learn a number of things. And of course, the lower reaches of Scottish football, you learned quick. You know, you, yeah. you're going to get lumped all over the place, but kind of, I'd been <laughs> used to that anyway. The best thing about it is I was allowed to play my own position. And that never really happened much for the rest of my career. You know, when I left Clyde, I had to move and play a different position. And I, Again, that grated. And was that Craig Brown himself? That no, well, he he got cause... me and he just said, when he'd seen me, I'd been a, I'd been a ten or a certain midfield, so or more often than not a striker. So you and then he said, look, play wide, but look, do what you like. Mm-hmm. So I had this kind of complete freedom because he knew I would defend as well, and he knew I was a distance runner. So he kind of got me really quite quickly, whereas other managers maybe wouldn't have. You know, mm-hmm. with the way I was looking up post-punk kind of look the other players didn't look like that so you were you were division two player of the mm-hmm. year as uh-huh. well and you got the attention of chelsea mm-hmm. um it, there was a bit of history with this transfer was there yeah no, there was lots chelsea. of history yeah. um they came in to buy me and obviously clyde could do with the money and, and i said well no i'm not interested I'm, I'm doing a degree i'm happy why would i ruin my happiness and they were like no you're not getting it we want you to be a professional football and i said well you're not getting it there's some things that are more important in life um, so I did I turned that down for a year uh, they come back the next year and it was purely it was it was complicated I'll try and make it very simple I was sitting final final year exams six of them if I failed one of them uh, that was me out however you could set resets mm-hmm. but I was going to miss all of the exams because I was going to Mexico with Scotland Youth mm-hmm. so I had to pass all the resets that I was out so I just made this completely logical decision I'll sign for Chelsea for two years, go to Mexico, come back, join Chelsea, do my resets, you know. If I pass all six of them, I can always say to Chelsea, nah, I changed my mind and go back home. And I went down to Chelsea, signed, went over to Mexico, we got to the quarter semi-finals, semi-finals, and passed all the exams, obviously. And then I thought, oh, no, I'll just have a go at it. 
mm. at Chelsea, and it was brilliant. You know, the choice between the choice between Chelsea and the D United at that time. So, knowing my personality and having met up with Jim McLean, I just thought, <laughs> I just don't know it's going to really work that. And Jim's great. Jim's yeah. fantastic. Uh, but just the wrong personalities. You, you must you must look back on your clay career with a lot of of fond memories because you know being inducted into the Hall of Fame there in 2011 yeah. like you, you must really have a, a strong place in your heart for well, Clyde you, you think about it you know nearly two years there you know as I've said to you you can tell mm. just pure happiness mm-hmm. we win a league I get divisional player of the year I get Scottish young player of the year I win European player of the year for the under 18s I play the tournament when we won the tournament you know this was a piece of cake and it was fun. <laughs> and it was, so not a negative thing. To be inducted into the Hall of Fame after only playing a couple of years, you know, that was kind of, I, I was really honoured by it. But I'm thinking, God, the guys that played, you know, 10, 15 years. But it was, I think what they understood is, what I understood is, I always, always, always was positive about Clyde. And to this day, if I'm asked to do a best 11 of players I've ever played with, there's always a Clyde player in that list. <laughs> <laughs> well, just quickly, my co-host JJ wants to know, um, when are you DJing next in London? Um, I DJ quite a lot in London. Um, <laughs> well, shall we own up to the listeners? We are in London just now. That's the only place you can catch me. I work almost, not in London, but I work solely down south now. And it's, I mean, I'm fortunate. I've got a great job. I'm doing Liverpool ever. And coming up, I've got a lot of great Chelsea games. I'm off over doing PSG. Man United so I mean, it's, it's, I'm not complaining you know uh, I miss seeing a bit of Scottish football as much as I used to do up until quite recently but when I'm down here I often get asked to do some DJing so if it fits in with the work I'm doing here I could basically I could DJ every week if I've asked well, to go along let us know and we'll come along um, yeah I'm trying I'll be honest with you I've done a lot recently <laughs> and what I'm trying to do is kind of hold off a wee while and you, need to, got, you need to give yourself some time so the fans can look forward to the yeah. next big one uh, I don't know about the next big one, but I want to do different stuff. Okay. You know, because it's kind of the stuff that I play, I've got a wide taste in music, but the stuff that I would generally play is like kind of an indie kind of influence thing. Whereas, you know, if, if I'm playing it, I also want to do new stuff and I want to yeah. push the challenge and push the barrier a little bit. It's getting a wee bit like most people just want to hear the big old hits, the big old indie hits. And, you know, I've, I've kind of, not, I'm saying I've had enough of it, but I'd like to push it a bit. Best tune that's br- brought the house down, just quickly. Um, do you know recently weird one if you get a chance Bell and Sebastian Boy with the Arab Strap great, great but band. choral version by a choir from Canada try it it's brilliant elsewhere in the Premiership Rangers will be hoping they can claw back some ground on Celtic as they welcome Dundee to Ibrox. Alfredo Morelos will be back from suspension. Rangers won 5-0 at Hamilton. What did Steven Gerrard learn from that game? Well, five different goal scorers. Mm. I think that kind of puts to bed, at least for this week only, um, (laughs) that they're a one-man team. Yeah, they're not a one-man team anymore. (laughs) Certainly not when they shoot from 25 yards. I just wanted to bring up Glenn Kamara, who obviously comes up against his old club. But he looked really good against Kilmarnock last week mm. and he just floated through this game. He seems like he's kind of relishing his time at Rangers already. He seems like it's the kind of club where he can play the game he wants to play. Uh, these kind of players are better with when they're amongst better players. Yeah, yeah I think I think this is maybe what Rangers hoped Koulibaly would be 
and they've now got Kamara instead. They've got options now, I yeah. think. So you've got Kamara who can, you know, slick passes forward. Yeah, because movement, I think pass move, pass Kul- move. Yeah. Koulibaly is a bit more of a an engine and I don't think he's been a huge hit with Rangers fans yeah. this season. And I think he's also making others bounce off him as well in a good way, in a positive way, because likes of Jack, I think he makes Jack a better player. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting to see what impact he's having on his own teammates as well as the actual game and the opposition themselves so Dundee were beaten 4-2 by Hibs on Friday night and I felt really bad for Dundee because the two goals that they scored were quality Scott Wright just although there is a little controversial moment in this game where he seemed to knee I can't remember the Hibs player in the head it's a little bit naughty but massively influential in the in the two Dundee goals he's the one who provides the cross for the first goal which Paul McGowan, nobody's spoken about the finish. From McGowan's Paul McGowan's finish is unbelievable. The finish is so good and nobody's mentioned it. I he did, just, I was going, what? He just kind of <laughs> caresses it with his uh, Outside right, of his right foot, right yeah. Foot. It's and across from the left and he crosses it, hits it with his right foot across it like he flicks it out the way. And what Scott Wright... Like, Chun, like when Chun Lee does that uh, spin move <laughs> yeah. in Street Fighter so 2. So what, what I've noticed is what Scott Wright does really well is that he attracts a lot of players and what he's done is he's, he's kept the ball quite close to his feet and he attracts Paul Hanlon, the centre half, to 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 kind of go out of position, which creates the space for Paul McGowan, and it, it just lofts it really nice. It's such a good goal. Yeah. Nobody talks about it. Dundee are fighting back here. They've got they've, a bit of something about them now. They've done they? so well under Jim McIntyre. He's really changing things around. And okay, so they've lost this one, but it just shows the kind of heart they've got there. Mm-hmm. I think Dundee have just got a bit more of a threat about them with Scott Wright around. But they are. But open um, them up means they're 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 vulnerable to the counterattacks. And it's not it's, for sure. It's not that Hibs were countering them all game long, but they were just they were very quick in the final third. And that's when like Malin's goal, you know, it just comes out of nowhere. He just shoots from distance and gets that. McNulty just follows up. A shot gets punted at the keeper, and it, it falls to his feet. Yeah. He's able to score. And I don't know if it's... Um, I've not studied it enough to know if it's the Dundee players not tracking their men and they're not going man-to-man and they're trying to do a zone all the time. And I don't know whether it's that they're just well, not Sunga, good enough. Kasunga was a bit soft for um, for Flo Canberry's goal. and then You, you tell th- him that in person. Yeah, I'm, well, I won't. I'm going to stay well away. <laughs> I'm sure he's a lovely man. Speaking of Hibs, they travelled to McDermott Park to face St Johnston. Two wins out of two for Paul Heckenbottom. And both of those games against Hamilton and Dundee, so you kind of expect those <laughs> results to be fair. It's a good time to change a manager, I suppose. Yeah, so three goals in two games for Mark McNulty. Should we talk about him? Quite a good a good person to come in after... Uh... Yeah, so he came in January, didn't he? Yes. He's made quite an impact straight away. So he was at Hibs as a, a youth player and then went down south. He had quite a long time at Libby, didn't he? Let me check. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get my stats up. Well, Neil Lennon was on the on the BT Sport thingy, Jig the BT show. The score, yeah, and they, and he was talking him up, McNulty, and he was a very good player and expected him to do well. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, he was. He earmarked him. Well, yeah, obviously, all, all I mean, the people that came in were all Neil Lennon's <laughs> people. But Flo Canberry just seems to be be much more confident now. Seems like he's quite happy. Neil Lennon's gone. He's not getting as much to stick. Be fair, I think I'd. Managed to score against Dundee or Hamilton. <laughs> I don't think that for Let's a second, really. Do you want to fight Kasunga? <laughs> no, but uh, are you saying you're better than Flo Canberry? Absolutely not. <laughs> Canberry's a really good player. I don't know what's happened with him and Lennon, why what was going on there, but uh, it seemed to be an attitude problem. It's Johnson's a hard team to play against, so uh, this would be a good one to watch actually because St. Johnson mm. tend to sit not deep, but they like to just wait for the other team to do something and then they want to hit them and they keep that goal and they, they, they go from there. And try and get a second, but they're struggling to score, at just now, and Hibbs will 
come in with a bit more confidence after that two wins, and they've scored quite, you know, they scored goals in the last two games. So, Hickenbottom has to, how much does he know about these teams? How much scouting has he done? I'd love to know what his scouting network's like. What is uh, his preparation's going to be? I don't know, but I think I think this game's important in the race for finishing top six, if anything else. Oh, it's massive. And um, St Johnston, they're on a winless run of six. Mm-hmm. They've got a good chance to to pick up some points because they've now played Aberdeen, Hearts, Rangers, and Celtic. They've got the opportunity to to push now and Hibernians were perfectly bad in any of those games, really. Like yeah, that. I mean, look at their fixtures. They've had Aberdeen, Hearts, Rangers, Celtic twice. I mean, they drew Rangers. Yeah. And then you look at the fixtures they've got now until the split: Hibs, Levy, St Mirren, Motherwell, Dundee, and Kelly. Mm-hmm. All winnable games. If I was a St Johnson fan looking at that, I'd be very happy with the running. There's one Premiership game that won't be taking place midweek. That's St Mirren versus Livingston on Saturday. Livingston winning for the first time in nine matches against Kilmarnock at the weekend. I mean, what a weight off of Gary Holt's shoulders. Livy, I was, as we said a few times now, I've sort of balanced out. They'll win some, they'll lose some. I don't think they'll make it in the top six. I don't like predicting stuff, though. But <laughs> you do it anyway. I've just done it again. <laughs> uh, why do I do this? <laughs> Tough one to call. I mean, other than the fact that St Mirren are bad at defending set pieces, Livingston yeah. are good at scoring set pieces, I think it could be a very tech game. Hard to call. I quite like these games, but you have no idea. That's it from us. We'll be back on Monday after Scottish Cup quarter-final weekend and a fixture that so far this season has given us 10 goals and 5 red cards. Aberdeen v Rangers. Can he wait? You've been listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and be sure to check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audio Boom, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Mm-hmm.